had a very difficult time preparing for this talk today. Keeps changing. <laughs> and um, as I was, um, so as some of you know, when people give Dharma talks, before they give Dharma talks, they go to the altar and they do three prostrations. And I did that before the talk. And suddenly, I have these pictures of my family um, to the right of the altar. And my grandfather, I never met on my father's side. Unfortunately, he passed away when my dad was, I believe, around three years old. So my father also doesn't really have much recollection of his relationship with his father. And um, suddenly I had been thinking about him and he came to me. <laughs> I've been thinking about him. So maybe I called. He called me. And here he is looking at me. And maybe I'll just share with you this picture a moment. I don't know if you can see it. Well, make it close. So can you see that he's wearing soldier's um, outfit there? And he has some kind of a um, staff there. Kind of looks like a cop a little, doesn't he? So um, he died in the war, Japanese-Korean War. I believe he died in Korea. Um, China, I'm not quite sure. And um, suddenly something spoke to me. I don't know about this man at all. It's funny because the last Dara talk, Ian talked about his grandfather, I believe, didn't he? And um, you know something about my own conditioning, um, being in front of other people. You know, this has been always difficult for me. It's a very deep, deep, deep-rooted karma for me as a woman, as someone who grew up in a, um, a, a culture that um, prefers harmony. Um, Individuality is often suppressed. I hope it's changing now. I think it's changing now, slowly, but surely. And, um, you know, I heard about him that he died in the war. And the way he died was that basically um, his team, so he was like a little kind of general or something like that. And his team was getting smaller and smaller. This is from my father that I heard about it. So I don't know how accurate it is. And um, they were um, being defeated. So they were enemies. 
from their eyes. Um, soldiers, Korean soldiers. And they were being attacked and they were kind mm -hmm. of um, being uh, withdrawn into more and more into the uh, forest, the mountains. And he kept going up the mountain. I think that's what my father said telling us is that he kept going up the mountain when the, the um, Korean soldiers were coming on, some of them actually surrendered. And some of the surrendered soldiers actually were able to come back to Japan. But according to what I hear, he kept going in further and further deep into the mountain. And you know, I heard this from my father and I think I heard from him like a couple of years ago. And my sister and I were like, wow, you know, tears in our eyes. And I kept wondering, so how was he feeling in this moment? Why didn't he surrender? Why did he keep going to this place where he knew he was going to die from hunger or whatever? I'm not quite sure what exactly. However, something resonated with me today as I was making prostrations, which has relationship with me, with karma that became clear to me, was the sense of shame. You know, perhaps he felt that surrendering was not a noble thing to do. You know, maybe as a general and in the culture where your life is has to be devoted to the nation. So that there's a killing of individuals. Perhaps he felt he couldn't claim his individual life. Maybe there was a shame in that. Something clicked there for me because I also share his blood growing up in the culture in Japan. I can probably feel that, that sense of shame. You know, as I was little, I can remember the way that um, I've seen others do. In kindergarten, I saw kids who didn't behave well. They were shut out in the classroom, in a glass door. You can see through them. And I was inside. They were outside. And I saw them crying. And there was a sense of shame you know, in the room. So something came through in meeting with my father today, not my father, my grandfather today. And I, 
I've been thinking about personas. Um, some of you may be at the um, session with Kosen last weekend. And he talked about personas. And I have talked to some of the members and actually my friends um, about, actually it was so strange because this persona came up, the word persona came up with a friend who wasn't related to <laughs> Brooklyn Zen Center. So I thought, wow, this is interesting, you know, that um, personas are um, very strong forces of our lives. And the way that um, also introduced the personas um, was that these are, there are many personas and if people weren't there for Kosen's talk, I just would just like to mention a few things, few personas. I, I'm not quite sure if this was in Kosen's list. He had a long list, but like a persona is, so basically the, the, the word persona, I looked it up in the dictionary and it says that depending on the context, context can refer to either the public image of one's personality or the social role that one adopts or a fictional character. And the word derives from Latin, where it originally referred to a the the theatrical mask. So it's a mask, a persona mask we wear in different social contexts. It comes up in the relationship with each other, dynamic within your family, within your group of friends, um, with your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, with a community, um, state, countries. Some of them are the ones who wants to control, wants to be the center of attention, or some, a one who wants to hide away, want to be always in the background, don't want to take up the space. One who is busy, who um, feels restless if one is not engaged. This is a persona too. One who is responsible, accountable. That's a persona too. One who takes care of other beings and takes on more than one can. Um, feels like a victim, one who is a persecutor, judging, feeling a sense of power in that. So, slow, one is slow, who's dull. For me, one of the things that recently came up was one who's too slow to understand. <laughs> this is a very strong persona that I, I hold within myself. Um, so we have so many different kinds of personas and Kosen was talking about how we um, have these personas, at least five, six, seven personas that are our favorite ones that come up in different situations and how these personas actually um, support our core identity or self. And the core self um, that 
I feel is very crucial one is feeling of unworthiness, self unworthiness, or exile. You know, the one that who doesn't want to be exiled. That's what Kosa mentioned too. And also looking at my grandfather, the one that um, is shamed. Of people who feels feels shamed, shamed. It's a very deep one too. And I thought that it's very interesting that these personas are floating up everywhere in our conversations now, because I feel that it's um, appropriate. We had a long winter and um, a long year, right, of living in a situation that. Uh, needed to be examined, re-examined the way that we relate to each other. And in that kind of forced uh, restructuring of our lifestyles and the way we relate to each other, we have to relate to each other as human beings because that's the life force that we thrives off. So we had to be very creative about that. A lot of, in this kind of pressed, forced, deprived situation, our deep conditioning that has been dormant, or maybe there was a hint of that here and there until now, before the pandemic, but something that was hidden deep inside, I'm sure that all of us, all of us, these have been popping up and become more clear to us, these personas. And it's powerful, you know, that's the thing about these personas that it's inherited. It's not, it hadn't just started from us, from our father and mother, from our grandfather and grandmother, the great-grandmother and great-grandfather. These blood lines, this is what makes up us right now. So it's really deep in our DNA, deep in our blood, the way that we behave, the way that we use these personas. And it's quite brutal, quite brutal. At least that's, that's um, some kind of conversations that I'm having with other people. Right? And um, like I said, you know, there's a reason for it that it's coming up. And now, I mean, this right now in this moment, what, March 27th today? 27th, right, 27th. This moment is such exquisite, delicate moment. We know that the spring is coming. The sun has changed. The quality of sunlight has changed. The earth has been churning. So the way that the earth receives the sun has changed. And we can see 
that the quality of air is different. Yesterday was a very windy day. The wind is different. The temperature is changing. And the moisture, we can feel the moisture, the hints of rain coming here and here and there. We're going to have more rain. Elementally, the things are shifting. It's exquisite from the winter transitioning into the spring. And coming from this winter of personas in vortex, you know, moving and manifesting to the surface, still going on, you know, still going on. And here, here we are, spring, and we see that the nature is ready. The nature is ready to spring out, and nature is ready to um, keep going. In spite of the personas, it's ready, and it keeps going. So I feel that... Um, Yesterday I was outside and it felt, it felt, it was was beautiful, you know, with the sun and the grass and the insects, ants crawling on my foot. It was beautiful. And yet, such a sudden change, you know, which, which felt a little, little also unresolved, you know, in the body. So um, I wanted to think about the offering today, you know, in this kind of um, relentless vortex of stories, personas playing out in our life. You know, and then living human beings, as human beings, living together with the rhythm of the nature, the earth, palpable. I wanted to do some offering to myself and also um, useful for other people. And what came to me is um, the word mother. Um, Sense of refuge to the mother to where we came from. Mother, you can say as a birth, mother, your own mother. When I was um, a freshly mother, when I had a, my son, I looked at, um, you know, when I was walking on the street in Brooklyn, I saw everyone as a child. I, I saw that, wow, this person, even this person has a mother, even that person has a mother. Everybody has a mother who took care of them. And without being taken care of by mother, we can't, we can't survive as a baby. We all come from a mother. And so uh, that being said, I, um, I want to introduce this poem, um, the sutra. Um, it's called 
merging of difference and unity or harmony of difference and equality. This is the major chant for Zen. We chant this a lot. And um, the title, uh, Harmony, Harmony of Difference and Unity. As I was thinking about personas, I was thinking about difference being our personas, you know, our unique uh, way that we grew up, unique way that we are inheriting these bloodlines from our ancestors. And in Zen, um, often we refer to difference as relativity. You know, we have two truths. Talk about two truths. Um, absolute truth and relative truth. The difference uh, refers to the relative truth. You are you, I'm me. Names, things, everything's different. Our thoughts are different. And then unity uh, refers to uh, absolute truth. So the unity is... Um, we call this in Zen um, dependent co-arising teaching. You know, when we're connected to each other, even though we are different as individual beings who grew up with different um, environment, we can feel each other. There's something universal about our experience. So harmony of difference in unity so these two seemingly different qualities, paradoxical qualities, merging, being harmony together. This is a title of this sutra. Um, I uh, looked up this, well, I was reading Okumura's book, and he talked about this sutra. And there was an interesting thing he said about um, the original word in Chinese, harmony or merging. Um, it means agreement uh, or um, tally. And tally is a uh, wooden tally. And um, he talks about how in ancient times, the merchant used to use um, split this one wooden block as a contract, would write the contract on it. And when the contract was um, fulfilled, um, they'll put it together. So they split, split first and then they put it together. So merging um, basically having a contract, you know, the difference in unity, having contract, like a tally, it seamlessly matches. It also, um, some other people translate it as shaking of hands, merging, shaking of the hands. So Sandokai, the merging part, Sandokai is a title in Chinese, and San um, is difference, Kai uh, Do is unity, and Kai is the merging part. So shaking the hands between difference and unity. Um, 
as I'm reading this sutra, what comes to me is the shaking of the hands, but it's almost like dancing of these two elements. So it's not static, it's vibrant, and it's alive. And that's exactly what I feel right now in the season, because something that's been dormant inside, well, actually has not been really dormant underneath our earth, you know, before the, the flowers come up, the insects come up, the eggs are, have been laid there, right? It's been nurtured all along. The roots have been, been feeling the coldness of the winter. And in their own way, they have been nourishing themselves. So there's a lot of activity that's been going on all along in the ground. And, and suddenly, because of the, the feeling of the sun, they're ready. They're ready to come up. So this sense of um, what's being underground, rich, you know, vibrating and dancing, mixing, all these uh, sense of movement is where I'm actually taking a refuge today. Um, so there are lines that I want to share with you from the sutra. By the way, this is this sutra is from seventh, no, eighth century, by Sekito Kisen, and um, the lines go like this: The four gross elements return to their own natures, like a baby taking to its mother. The four gross elements return to their own natures like a baby taking to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid. Eye and form, ear and sound, nose and smell, tongue and taste. Thus, in all things, the leaves spread from the root. The whole process must be turned to the source. So, all gross elements. Fire is, the nature of fire is to heat. The wind's nature is to move. Water's nature is to wet. And earth's nature is being solid. Our nature personality is as it is as well. The one who controls. It's just the way things has come up. It's the way it is. We don't need to deny that. The one who um, is always busy. This is also something true that comes up for some of us. And it's just the way it is. You know, we don't need to reject that. We don't need to feel bad about that. It's just the way it is. And he also says, eyes and form, 
ears and sound, nose and smell, tongue and taste. So the way that the eye, um, I thought this was interesting because if you know about how we talk about consciousness in Buddhism, we say I um, is an organ and the form is the object of organ. And when they meet, the eye consciousness arises. So it's in the meeting of the eye and the object of the eye, which is the form that the reality um, arises. Same with the ear and the sound, nose and the smell, the meeting, the dynamic meeting of two separate things coming together and dancing and creating what it is. And how those things meet and they co-create, thus in all things, Leaves spread from the root. So all things are all the personas that's been driving us crazy. The the personas that really makes us suffer so much. They all spread. You know how it spreads, right? More and more, sometimes we're carried off into the smaller, smaller, smaller leaves, thinking and thinking and thinking. However, remember that they spread from the root. Spread from the root. The whole process must return to the source. Just like a mother baby taking to its mother. Just how natural that is that we all have a, a mother. How natural that is that we come from our ancestors. How natural that is that the things sprout from the roots into the leaves. We can take a refuge in the roots. We can take refuge in the source. We can ref- take a refuge in that moment, in that place underneath us where ground has been churning before these phenomenons spring up into our visual consciousness, our awareness. We can take refuge in that that silence. The spiritual source shines clearly in the light. Branching streams flow in the darkness. That's also the line from this poem. The spiritual source shines clearly in the light. In this here, in this line, um, Sekito Kisen is using light um, as as a pointer to the differences the phenomenal differences, personas, thoughts. Spiritual sources shines clearly. Spiritual sources are right there in the personas, dancing together with personas. 
branching streams flow in the darkness. Here the darkness, Tiktokisen is actually pointing to the unity, to the absolute truth, to that place where um, the undescription, the silence, before everything was born out of mystery. Branching stream flow in the dark. Branching streams, the ways that we individual lives flow. We can rest and flow back into the darkness. Here the translation says flow in the darkness. However, the Chinese characters with these are actually two letters. Flow into um, enter, enter into. Somehow I'm getting this feeling of returning from that. Flow and enter into. Perhaps we can take refuge in that, you know, in that um, mystery. Um, wow, it's 11.39 already. Okay. So I think I'm just maybe done with that today. Um, oh, maybe I will, you know, maybe I will um, just, uh, yes, end with um basic zazen instruction because I feel that we can rest in that. We can rest because it's natural, you know, to rest in that place where everything, before everything starts. Thinking about the earth, feeling the elements of the earth as you walk outside, you know, there's always uh, opportunity. It's so abundant right now. The smell Right, of new leaves or new freshness of uh, um, mud. As we, um, there's a moment to take a refuge everywhere like that right now. You can smell the colors of the earth. And you can hear the colors. Um, I remember Kosen's talk, he talked about the cross. Um, the interplay of the senses. We can um, see the sound, smell the sound, and we can um, hear the colors, hear the colors. Here's the abundant opportunity right now, elementary, elementary, element, elementary. <laughs> I get confused sometimes. Okay. So um, I'm going to end with this Fukan Zazengi. We can rest in that darkness, and yet Zazen is good. So here it is. Um, this is from Dogen, Zen 101. 
The zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It is simply, no, this is not it, sorry. It's the one before. Yes, it's once you have adjusted your posture, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale. Rock your body right and left and settle into a steady, immobile sitting position. Think of not think, thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking. This in itself is the essential art of zazen. We can relax, take a refuge to the mother, to the root of the tree. And at the same time, we can do a little zazen. We can do we can go back to this. We can correct our posture. We can feel the body, the spine. Little reminder, just as um, Suzuki Roshi says, said, you know, we are all Buddha nature, and yet we could use a little bit of help. So, um, to end with that. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.